0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, well, good evening, everyone. Great to be here tonight in the city campus. I, uh, I've kept it easy for you. My name's also Andrew, so you will remember that. And I dressed like one of my heroes here in the front row, so... Black pants and blue shirt all the way. It's the Gateway Pastor, Campus Pastor dress standard. But I just love being here, worshipping. Great to be led by Andrew and Hannah. Um, I love it when these guys lead, but thanks for letting me come and be with you. It didn't quite take me two hours. I don't want that story to extrapolate any further. I did get stuck in an accident and then convinced myself that my car wouldn't fit in any of the car parks in the city great aspirations to just ride in on a lime scooter, but I couldn't find one. So here I am. Hey, you know where we're up to in this series because we're doing line by line through the Lord's Prayer, and so you'll see today we're all, we're about two thirds of the way through because I want to talk about the line that we just pray together, which is "forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors." And uh, it's it's incredible concept forgiveness, but as I've prepared this and as I've done my own journey in this, I recognise that forgiveness is a really significant thing to wrestle through and a really heavy thing in part to wrestle through because to come to terms with forgiveness, we've actually got to sit in the mess at times as well. And uh, I I know tonight for some of us, this is going to be uh, painful and confronting, but Jesus talks about it because he knows on the other end of forgiveness is freedom. There's something strange about this line in the Lord's Prayer because it's the only one that Jesus feels so compelled in Matthew's account of it, the one that we've just prayed, to come back at the end of the prayer time and unpack it a little bit further. So just as we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Jesus, when he finishes praying in Matthew's Gospel, says this, "'For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, "'your heavenly Father will also forgive you. "'But if you do not forgive others their sins,' Your Father will not forgive your sins. I mean, that is heavy in every sense. That is very, very confronting words that Jesus speaks. It's strong language. I think what he wants to say, though, is this. You can't uncouple the idea of forgiveness. You can't be a forgiven person that doesn't forgive. The two don't exist in separate universes. They have to come together. You need to be someone that lives forgiveness in the way that you receive it, and the way that you give it. It's interesting in this translation we use the words forgive us our debts. Some of you might have grown up with uh, different renderings of the Lord's Prayer, maybe forgive us our trespasses. In Luke's Gospel, Luke 11, where the Lord's Prayer is repeated in a slightly different format, the wording is forgive us our sins. All of those come from the original Greek language. But the word used here most adequately uh, is translated as debts. But it's not because it's financial. Jesus is not talking about an economic transaction when we pray, forgive us our debts. But any time we're sinned against, all of us have something robbed from us. So when we pray, forgive us our debts, we recognise that when we sin against God, we take something from him. And when someone sins against us, they take something from us. Maybe you've experienced the pain of having your reputation robbed. Maybe you've experienced the pain of someone robbing you of joy and happiness because of something they've said or some way they've acted toward you. Maybe you've had your sense of safety and security taken from you. Maybe you've been robbed of opportunity. Maybe you've been robbed of friendship or family relationship. Maybe you've been robbed of a sense of self-esteem because of the words or the actions of another. This list could go on. But when we pray, forgive us our debts, we recognise that something has been taken from us. And we understand this because often in our reaction to that which has been taken from us, what do we say? We say, we're going to make that person pay. We speak in like economic terms. We're going to make them pay because we recognise that something has been robbed from us. So when Jesus calls us to pray, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, What is it to forgive? Let me talk about forgiveness for a little while. Let me try and define it for us tonight. Forgiveness is surrendering the right to get even. Let me say that again. It's surrendering the right to get even. But before we surrender something, firstly, we need to claim it. You see, justice demands that a wrong carries a consequence. So forgiveness is actually choosing to hold back on that which might be demanded by justice. And it's here that we can get caught up because saying that we've forgiven someone is often so much harder than living out the implication of forgiveness or surrendering the right to get even. Many of us can think of a friendship or or a family relationship or maybe if you're here tonight and you're married, you can think of a time where there's been a conflict in that relationship and someone's come to you and has said, hey, you've, you've said this, you've done this, you've hurt me significantly. There's something in our minds that wants to suddenly call back every moment where we can actually justify ourselves by reminding our friend or our family member or, you know, I'm married, my spouse, of just how wrong she is. And when Chrissy says, Andrew, you've, you've done this, you've said this, you've upset me, you've hurt me, I'm like, well, do you remember in 1983? That day we would?" Church after church, and you did this, you've done exactly the same thing. And then she's like, Well, let's fast forward to 1986. We weren't married back then, but you know, I'm going way back in the past, just so you can understand my point. And we can, it's like we pull out our journal of hurt and we start toing and froing, see who can get kind of one up on the other person. Because we say that we've forgiven someone but we like to hold record of everything that people have done against us just in case we need to pull it out on another day and use it in an argument or use it to get some kind of leverage against them. You know what, forgiveness, when we surrender the right to get even, we choose not to use the past as leverage over the future. We choose to step into the future giving someone a clean slate from the wrongs of the past. So forgiveness is surrendering the right to get even. To surrender it, firstly, you've got to claim it. It's got to be something that you can own and something that you can take before you can surrender it. But in the language of Jesus, forgive us our debts, it's also a willingness to absorb the cost. You see, surrendering the right to get even is okay when the wound is small. But for many of us, the wounds that we carry aren't small wounds, are they? Let me give you an economic description I head down to Grill tonight, Andrew's there and uh, he's forgotten his wallet again and you know, he says can you just spot me 20 bucks just so I can grab some dinner and I give him 20 bucks and pay for his dinner and in my mind I'm thinking awesome, he's, he owes me one So next Sunday night, or next time I come back into the city, we head down to Grilled again and I'm in line behind Andrew, he hasn't forgotten his wallet this time and he orders his burger and his chips and his drink and he pays for it and in my spirit I'm thinking fantastic, this is when I get to call back that which is owed to me and I step up to the counter, feeling free, I order the deluxe version because I know that this is going to be great repayment and he just wanders off. I'm left there paying for my own meal again. Like I might be a little upset about that, that he's forgotten about the 20 bucks he owes me but realistically $20 doesn't concern me that much I'll forget about it pretty quickly I won't hold on to that grudge for too long you know 20 bucks isn't something in my world that is the end of the world the only people in my world that seem to remember how much I owe them are my children and if I own 50 cents from like three years ago they have not forgotten that even though I fork out every day out of my pocket just to keep them going but $20 $20 isn't a significant debt for me to carry. It's, it's, it's something that Andrew might owe me, but it's something that I forget about quickly. But say then we fast forward to a time where I give him $5,000. Now, in my world, $5,000 is a significant amount of money. Well, whatever's significant in your world. For some of you that are students, you're like, 20 bucks is a significant amount of money. Bad illustration. In my world, $5,000 is a lot of money. I don't just have that sitting around waiting to give away. But in a time of need, I hand it over to him and say, "Here, yeah, I'll lend this to you. It's yours to use as you need. What happens then when every time I see him, there's no mention of that which was given? And I keep dropping hints and I keep reminding him about, you know, interest rates are really low at the moment. And I drop all these hints, but it just suddenly... Dissipates from his conscious and every time I see him though the memory of what has happened the memory of that transaction is forefront in my mind so when he lines up to Grill and goes and orders the deluxe version of the burger I'm in the background thinking to myself you can't even afford to eat tonight let alone upgrade because that money that you're spending there could be money well spent in repaying the debt that you owe me You see, it's a lot of money that he owes, but for me to forgive that debt is a willingness that every time I see him, I'm going to absorb the cost of that which has been taken from me. Let's take this out of economic terms for a minute. Think now about a relationship breakdown in your life or in someone around you. And now it's not just a financial deficit, but there's actually someone that's significantly hurt you. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a close friend, maybe for some of you it's a romantic relationship or a marriage relationship that's broken down. And there's something in you that every time you see that person, all of the memories, all the wounds that have been created for you are opened up again. And in that moment, the choice to surrender your right to get even is very real all over again. You see, I think sometimes we think forgiveness is this great moment we have at the front of the church where we decide to forgive and we walk away going done forgotten but no 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 no. the reality is when you've been hurt significantly every time you're confronted by that person or you see that person or you're in the same room or you're in that restaurant or that song plays on the radio or something there's a smell in the air that reminds you of that moment in your life all of the pain comes flooding back and the choice to forgive is in that moment again the choice to absorb the cost and surrender the right to get even You know that moment where the easy thing would just be to throw out that word that you know is going to cut them down or or to post that photo online that you captured in their weak moment or tell all their friends about the ills of their past. You see, forgiveness is surrendering the right to get even and absorbing the cost, and it's a constant, ongoing thing that we carry. And it's why forgiveness is so hard, because forgiveness comes at a cost. When you choose to forgive someone, it is going to cost you something. I'm going to talk a bit more about that in a moment. But first I want to talk about the power and the implication of forgiveness and the power of choosing to live in forgiveness and what it can mean for you. Let me just say four things tonight. Firstly, let me say this. Forgiveness... Recognizes the humanity of the person that you 're choosing to forgive. see when we forgive we, we actually start to see someone not as the sum total of the sin, but we actually start to see them as a person who, like us, is broken and fallible. I, I found this article on the paper recently it was late two thousand and twenty and Let me read it to you. This is the headline that popped up. Burglars beg priests for forgiveness while robbing church. Let me read it to you from the New York Times. New York Post, sorry. Just in case any of them are listening to the City 5pm podcast. This is what they wrote. A pair of remorseful robbers are said to have begged for God's forgiveness while stealing from a Nigerian church. Solomon Yukiyama, the St. Augustine Priest Parish, told local authorities that the contrite burglars had broken into the parish house, taking the church's most valuable items with them. The robbers were calm throughout the operation. They kept begging for forgiveness. They did that through the period of the robbery. I love the confidence and the calmness in them, the cleric added. One of them, for anything he picked, he would say, forgive us, Father. I smile at that article, but it it, it makes me ask the question, what leads someone to rob a church constantly asking for God to forgive them? It's ironic, isn't it, that in the midst of their transgression, they're recognising the guilt that follows it. But you see, if we actually start to recognise the humanity of the person, we start to ask deeper questions about what's going on for them. Was it desperation that led these guys to walk into a church, an easy target probably in their world? To take something that wasn't theirs because they were so desperate to put food on the table of their family. Maybe it was an issue of poverty, an extreme poverty. Maybe it was a debt that needed repaying, and they literally had a gun to their head to repay it. And so they went down to the local parish to take what they could from the parish house. I don't know what it was, but when we choose to forgive, when we choose to surrender the right to get even, we we recognize the humanity of the person that we forgive. You see, forgiveness chooses to see someone's humanity, not just their sin. We all get this personally because when we do something wrong, we don't think of ourselves through the lens of that sin. If I tell you a lie, I don't suddenly start to create a caricature around myself that says that I am a liar. But it's so easy for us to pin that on others that transgress against us. You see, we actually choose to see someone in their humanity, not just their sin. The good news of the scriptures is God doesn't choose to see us through the lens of what we do. He actually just chooses to see us as kids, desperately in need of his grace. So forgiveness recognises humanity of someone. Forgiveness, secondly, is a choice to stop the cycle of revenge. All of us have the capacity to be hurting hurters. What's a hurting hurter? It's someone that gets hurt and so their response To the pain is to hurt someone else because there's something inside of our spirit sometimes that looks for that glimpse of joy that comes when we get to actually visit some of the pain that we've received on somebody else. What's the most natural reaction to someone slapping you across the face is to retaliate by visiting the same pain upon them. Maybe not all of you think like that, but I know for me the most, you know, growing up with your friends and one of them just punched you, so what's the first thing you want to do? You just want to visit some of the pain back on the person that's perpetrated that pain against you. But but forgiveness is the choice to stop the cycle of revenge. The easy response is to strike back out of pain. The harder response is to choose to absorb the injustice. You see, the problem with, with the cycle of pain and revenge is that often we carry the pain of the wounds that have been inflicted upon us, but the person that's inflicted them is no longer to be found, no longer in our life. Sometimes we don't even know the person that inflicted the pain upon us in the first place, but in our attempt to find some relief, we find others to who we repay pain with pain. And sometimes we can actually become the very person that we hated in the first place. I've sat with people who lament the fact that they grew up with neglectful parents yet have gone on to be distant themselves from their own children. I've sat with marriages on the brink of breakdown because of the wrong that was caused in a previous relationship. We've all probably experienced workplaces where someone carries a deep bitterness and is caustic in their words and their behaviour. And no one can work out why, because nothing's ever happened. But when you dig into their past, you recognise that they've been hurt and they're just acting out of their pain. You see, people who refuse to forgive often allow the seed of unforgiveness to grow. And it manifests often as anger or bitterness or jealousy or rage or substance abuse or in some other way, that we manifest the pain that's inside and seek a way to just let a little bit of it out. But when we forgive, we choose to put an end to the cycle of revenge. And the good news of that is my third point, and that is that forgiveness actually leads to freedom. Have you ever done something against a friend and, or a family member or someone close to you and, and received Genuine forgiveness from them. You know one of those moments where you act in a way that you're embarrassed about? One of those moments where you know you're actually not deserving of grace, actually that you deserve the consequence of your words or your actions? That moment when you realise the depth of pain that you've caused and then somebody chooses to forgive you? You have one of those moments in your life, maybe you can call it to mind right now, but it's such a freeing experience to be forgiven, to receive the forgiveness of another. But forgiveness isn't always easy because sometimes the person we're called to forgive hasn't even acknowledged they're wrong. Sometimes the person we're called to forgive is someone who's moved on and not even realised the pain and the wound that they've inflicted on us and left us to carry through life. Sometimes we're called to forgive someone who is faceless and unknown to us, but we are are bearing and wearing in ourselves the consequences of their choices, their actions, or their words. If you don't know who the person is that you're called to forgive, does forgiveness even matter? I want to suggest that we'd be crazy to think about forgiveness as just about the freedom that it brings, the one being forgiven. Lewis Smead's writes this, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. Well, for some of us, the greatest step that we might need to take towards healing and wholeness in our own life is dealing with, with the unforgiveness that we carry. Fourthly, let me say this forgiveness opens up our heart to receive forgiveness. You know, I go back to the words of Jesus at the very beginning, the very confronting words of Jesus at the end of the Lord's Prayer, where he says, If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I wonder if this is more than just a hard teaching. I wonder if there's something deeper in it. I wonder if there's something that unlocks in us when we choose to be people that forgive, that it actually is the very thing that opens ourselves up to the capacity to be able to receive forgiveness. I'm wondering if the two go hand in hand, being a forgiver and receiving forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is really hard. It's the reason Jesus tells us to pray about it. When you pray, say, our Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus says, when you come before your Father in heaven, ask for his forgiveness, but then ask for his grace and his help and his Holy Spirit's guidance and direction as you choose to forgive others. Jesus goes on to answer a question that his disciples ask. that's recorded a little bit later in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 18. And his disciples come to him and they say, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And Jesus gives this really weird answer. We all like checkboxes, don't we? Like just tell us what we have to do and we'll do it. And everyone's thinking like three times, four times. Jesus says actually 70 times, seven times. It's me thinking 490. I'm up to 3.96, there's a few left, but 4.90, that's a lot, but one day we might get there. Jesus isn't giving us a number that we go, once we've got to 4.90, then we're free to do what we want. Seven is actually a number in in the Jewish world of completion. Seven means wholeness and completion. So when Jesus says 70 times seven, essentially what he's saying is, actually when you're called to forgive, you're called to forgive wholly, completely and endlessly. Endlessly. He then goes on to tell a parable that in my Bible is titled The Unmerciful Servant. And he tells the story of a king who decides to call in all of the debts that are owed to him. And he says there's a particular servant who he calls in who owes him 10,000 bags of gold. Now Jesus goes way overboard in painting a picture of how great this man's debt was. 10,000 bags of gold, I don't know what it equates to in our economy, but no one in this room would be able to repay the debt that the man in this story owed. This is a significant amount of money beyond any com- comprehensive probably worth you know, the, the sole income of Australia or something. It's a lot of money. And Jesus says the king calls in the servant that owes him this incredible debt. And the servant says, I, I can't repay you. So the king says, well, go sell everything. Go sell everything you've got. I'm going to take your family. I'm going to take all your possessions. I'm going to take everything that you have to repay the debt, even though that will not even go close to repaying it. And Jesus picks up the story, verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay you back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. I mean, this is one significant debt. The forgiveness of this debt has huge implication for this man's life, not just for, his man, for this man's life, but for his family, for generations to come. The gift that the king gives the servant is incredible. But then Jesus goes on in his story. He says, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. You can just imagine it, can't you? The guy's been freed of a significant debt, but he now goes out going, well, I don't have anything to pay back, but I've got nothing. So who owes me something? So he goes and finds someone that owes him a hundred silver coins. Quick Bible work here, a hundred silver coins, 10,000 bags of gold, huge difference. Let's just stop there. But his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused, instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now Jesus kicks out of the story for a minute and says this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You know, it's so easy to minimize our sin in light of that which has been done to us. Because the wounds that we carry always hurt a whole lot more than the wounds that we inflict. See, the wounds that we carry we're so familiar with the pain of them that sometimes we can lose sight of the depth of pain that we've inflicted on others, of the depth of pain that we've inflicted on our relationship with God. I need daft to come join me on the stage now. But you know, God is a holy God. And every time we sin against God, we build up a debt. And some of us here tonight might think, you know, I'm a good person, surely my debt Isn't that large? 1 John 1 verse 8 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, we can minimise our sin in light of the wounds that we carry. But every time we wrong God, we build up a debt that's too large for any of us to repay. The Bible actually says that the consequence or the wages of your sin is actually something that you can do nothing about the wages of sin is death but the gift of god it says is everlasting life and jesus tells this story because he wants to remind us that the call isn't just to be people that forgive but as we learn to forgive others we open up our heart to receive the incredible mercy and grace of a God who chooses to forgive us. And forgive us a debt much greater than most of us are even aware of. We might think that we're great people. And everyone in the city campus, you are great people. But you know, every time we diminish someone that's been created in the image of God, someone with infinite and eternal purpose, and we just turn them into an image. We use for our own fantasy or sexual gratification. We create a debt in our relationship with God. Every time we destroy someone's reputation, through sharing their stories and their failures with others that have no right or no need to know, and sometimes we do it in very Christian ways of saying, "I just thought you should be aware of." It's called gossip. We create a debt in our relationship with God. Every time we add to the gap between the rich and the poor by living a life of greedy excess, we create a debt in our relationship with God. Every time we choose to use our God-given gifts to serve only ourselves and then have the audacity to celebrate the loose change moments where we give what's left over to Him, we create a debt in our relationship with God. Every time we protect ourselves with the smallest lie that allows someone else to take the blame for our wrongdoing. We create a debt in our relationship with God. Anytime we allow anything or everything to fill our lives and become our greatest priority, and every time we bow our knee to it and make it the greatest moment of our worship by giving it our time, our treasure, and our talent, things like success or wealth or other people, The Bible calls that idolatry. And every time we choose to worship something other than God, we create a debt in our relationship with God. The debt that we carry is huge. And while the call for us to be people that forgive is so hard at times because some of us carry wounds into this room that the rest of us have no idea how much someone else has hurt us. And some of us carry wounds from our past and wounds from our childhood and wounds from years gone by, and, and they are deep and they are painful and they should never be minimised. Even in those moments we're called to gaze upon the God that chooses to forgive us and to follow in his footsteps. And on that Roman cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus' own body became a picture of a life that was wounded because of the sins of others. And in that moment, he carried not just our pain, he carried every sin that we've committed. And in his body in that moment, he carried abandonment and ridicule and physical beating. And as he hung upon that cross with every right to gaze down upon those that had perpetrated against him and speak words of hate or words of slander, Jesus speaks these words. Father, forgive. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. See, 1 John 1 verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. follows on by saying, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just. And he'll forgive us our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. We're going to take a moment tonight just to share communion together. And I didn't grab communion, so could someone run me some communion? It's hard to lead communion when you don't have it. If you don't have communion, just wave at PJ right now and we'll make sure that you get some. Everyone, we can be patient with each other, can't we? Don't need to wave because no one has it. I just want to create a bit of space tonight as we share communion together for all of us just to do a little bit of a journey with God in this. These elements that we share together are just a reminder of the incredible sacrifice of the Lord Jesus who chose to give his life so that you could be forgiven. And as forgiven people, he calls us to be forgiving people. So tonight as we share the bread and the juice, we're going to gaze upon the cross and be reminded of just how much God has given for us, how much his grace and his mercy has transformed us. But we're also going to take a moment just to come before God and say, God, is there unforgiveness that I carry? that today you want me to deal with. And Jesus, just as you told us to pray, I'm going to ask you to forgive my debts, forgive my sin, and I'm going to ask you for the grace and the help to forgive those that have wounded me, that have wronged me, that have devastated me. Jesus, I want to receive your freedom. I want to be free. Lord God, I want to thank you. As we gaze upon the cross, we're overwhelmed again by your grace that was poured out for us. Jesus, tonight as we share these elements, this bread that reminds us of your body that was broken, was beaten, your body that carried visibly the wounds of every injustice that humanity could visit upon you, And this juice that reminds us of the blood that flowed out of those wounds, but the precious blood of Jesus that actually frees us and heals us and cleanses us. God, tonight we choose to confess all that that we've done. Lord, against you, we're sorry for the pain that we've inflicted upon you. We ask you to forgive us. But Jesus, as we partake in this meal, would you help us to be people that forgive?